filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. I, I went to cover uh, the Spirit Gotham game last night, and a lot of stuff went on with that that was serious. But one thing that happened was not serious, uh, but I think is pertinent for our listeners, uh, is me heading up. Um, well, actually, there's two things. So I think there's something Adam's already reacting to, um, which is <laughs> I am. I know what this the, is, and it's the, wonderful. The Philadelphia Union gave Pablo Maurer his absolutely uh, monstrous uh, FIFA cat. Uh, that they made and then didn't put in the stands. They said it was going to be there, and then it was not there. Um, and then later they put in the stands after he yelled at them. Uh, all in comedy. He's not actually mad, I, I don't think. Um, but they they had it. They gave it to the Gotham FC media people and had it waiting for him at the desk. Um, and so when I pulled into the parking lot last night, I saw Pablo heading. First of all, I saw Pablo's car. Um, and then the I Shelby saw Rampage, Pablo. The, the um, infamous... Yeah, so as, I'm, as I'm making the turn to follow where I have to go park, I leaned out the window because I'm, I'm a, a person that is willing to lean out the window and yell at somebody I know uh, while driving by. And I yell, hey, Pablo, what's up? And he's like, I'll tell you what's up. And he turns the thing and he's holding the FIFA cat. <laughs> and I just start cackling <laughs> as I'm driving. And like the person's trying to like direct me into a parking space. And I'm just like laughing out the window like a maniac. Um, so that happened. But another thing that happened on my way up. My way up, my trip up was very good. My trip back was uh, atrocious. It was all traffic and no fun. You should have um, gone by way of Erie. Uh, yeah, I, I would have been maybe less Adam, traffic. Adam, we just lost 3,000 listeners. No, yeah. we, we lost Nate Scott and nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, we just lost them again because you mentioned poor Nate. Nate is just, as soon as he hears that, even if we were saying uh, a circumstance was Erie, as in the double E version uh, it is October. Still just like no, off. Turning the device off. <laughs> turning my computer off. Uh, and and going to find something else to do with my day. No. Uh, so I, I stopped in Baltimore. I left myself enough time to stop at a friend's in Baltimore, and uh, he had bought this drink, and we've been waiting to try it together because we have a long-standing bond of drinking terrible things as a group. The the unity is important to do these things together and not separately. Um, and so. He, his wife, and I, uh, his wife has also been a part of these uh, terrible decisions in the past. She's she's a, a team player. She she gets the joke and is like, I'll, I'll also join in. Um, he bought this thing, and I'm looking at the photo so I can get everything in it correct. Uh, it is called Sparkling Cold Brew Coffee, Black Currant, Grapefruit Flavored, uh, wait, made with wait. raw sugar cane. That just no, kept no. getting worse. That, like, yes. started. Jason. I was like, okay. Jason. I'm with you. Well, I'm willing to try this. And then it just went off a cliff. <laughs> and somehow there was like a branch hanging out from the mid- oh, yeah. midpoint of the cliff. And you hit that and just spin all the Jason, way down. Mm-hmm. Those were all words, but yes. I didn't understand them together. Can you read that? Can you read okay. that one more time? Yes. Uh, sparkling cold brew coffee, black currant, grapefruit flavored, made with raw sugar cane. <laughs> it's the grapefruit that throws yeah. me. I mean, I don't know yeah. why black currant is in there either. That's another, uh, so the can, uh, I'll, I'll tweet an image of the can um, so that you can see the can has pictures of sliced grapefruit, currants, and coffee beans all just sort of scattered around. So what, <laughs> Did someone so what see like, like an engraving and decide I'm going to make a beverage off of this? I don't, I don't know who, who or why this, this concoction was made. Uh, ben, to answer the question, you're familiar with the Arrested Development Dead Dove meme. Um <laughs> And what I mean is not that it tasted like a dead dove, but that it tasted exactly like what the can says it will, which is shocking. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. And in particular, what I think is the most shocking, uh, and I want to add that we drank these out of, my friend has three uh, lovely small children, and they all were, they wanted to have their morning drinks in little tiny mugs so they could be like mom and dad yeah. with their mugs of coffee. So they've got little tiny mugs. And so 
we split this can. It's also it's a can, like an energy drinks sh- style thin can. Um, we shared this canned beverage uh, in tiny little coffee mugs. Um, and when their children came out to the patio to find us doing this, they thought it was hilarious. And they were like, you guys look silly. And we're like, you don't even know how half of how silly we're being right now. Um, but, I'm surprised uh, they weren't insulted. Like my kids would have been like, those are our oh, mugs. Yeah. You're not they kind of, yeah. those. They kind of wanted in. Um, they kind of wanted to like give it a shot. You're on our um, turf, old people. And they, they were like, well, do we get to try some? And and my friend was, he was like, well, you're allowed, but I don't think you're going to like it. And I turned to them and I was like, it's really not very good. And they're like, well, why are you drinking it? And I was like, that's a more complicated question. <laughs> that speaks to our nature as human beings in a way that maybe children aren't going to understand. Um, so, uh, yeah, it tastes very strongly of, of both cold brew and grapefruit at the same time. Um, ah no, uh-uh. which is yeah. no, I don't it, like that. Now, imagine if you had like a fresh cut grapefruit and like a fresh strong cup of coffee and put them right next to each other and inhale the aroma. You would understand, okay, these two are strong smells, but they're coming from uh, the same place, right? Like no, you understand that they shouldn't be from different places. They should be from, uh, you know, the grapefruit smells like grapefruit. The coffee smells like coffee. You have both of the those things, smell like so those smells should right. both coexist. But if you're only looking at one thing, and it's a small cup of liquid, brownish pink liquid, I, I have to say, nope, nope, I, I don't like no. that. That and smell is very off. But your brain worse. does not How respond does well. Worse? Filibuster the punishing ourselves with beverages podcast. <laughs> On that note, hey, hey, welcome in. This is filibuster. The Punishing Ourselves for the Lulz podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United, the Washington Spirit, and uh, whatever else catches our fancy. This podcast, of course, is about DC United. Uh, and unfortunately, we have a loss to talk about. DC United uh, dropped a 2-1 result to Orlando City down in Florida last weekend. Uh, We're going to break that down for you in the first segment. Later in the show, we will look at what's coming up for DC United after this international bye week, during which Paul Areola does everything but score a goal for the U.S., it seems like. We're recording this on uh, Thursday night. Is it Thursday? It is Thursday. I have no idea. This week has been completely thrown off for me. Um, So, uh, yeah, we're recording this Thursday night after the U.S. beat Jamaica 2 to nothing. Sorry if you were DVRing that for a Friday night watch and we spoiled it for you. But here we are. Uh, before we talk about anything else, Ben, what are you drinking? I am drinking Dr. Pepper and bourbon. How is that? It's not bad. I, I like any cola-esque beverage with uh, with bourbon in it. So, yeah, why not? I feel like that's appropriate for the U.S. game being in Austin, especially. Dr. Pepper's a Texas thing. It, it is national, but it is especially Texas. Okay, yeah, sure. That's yeah. why I did it, of course. To- totally on purpose. <laughs> totally, yeah. totally thought that out. Uh, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, unlike the hell drink that we just opened the show with, uh, I am I kept it real simple. Uh, I have some uh, El Padrino de Mi Tierra Reposado Tequila on the rocks. That is way better than the whatever oh, I came can out tell of the you can you just tweeted this yes this can uh, a very not very look bad appetizing drink, uh that, <laughs> that also lingered on the palate uh a little while oh, like no. i got down the road and i was still like mm, i still kind of taste it and failed to mention water you failed to mention the 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 artificially flavored after grapefruit flavored um i feel like that's important it's made with raw cane sugar adam <laughs> it is I don't think that makes up for it. I don't think that really means anything either. Right. Grapefruit <laughs> flavored, naturally flavored, flavored, made with raw like sugar cane. This is a drink that's bad enough that despite the fact that I drank it, you guys seem mildly upset at me. I, I don't. <laughs> we are. The existence of this thing, especially in the stupid energy drink can, which is like like a cutesy energy, energy drink can. Oh, yeah, yeah. The graphics There's... on it are, it's not like sophisticated drawing of currants and grapefruit and coffee beans it is very cutesy i don't like it i'm not comfortable with this i i'm more comfortable with my beverage choice tonight uh 
over the weekend, I, I hopped on my bike. I went up the Met Branch Trail to City State Brewing. I uh, had a pint on their their walkway, their their outdoor seating area, and then grabbed a couple of crowlers to come home. And one of them left as we uh, started the show. It is their Train Spotter Pub Ale, and it's a uh, it's a good one. I like it a lot. It's a very nice drinking beer. Um, to the soccer, I suppose we must go. Uh, DC United went down to Central Florida, got the early goal they always look for, thanks to a Julian Gressel uh, rocket of a goal. His second in his many games should be noted. However, United couldn't make that goal stand up, giving up a corner kick goal late in each half, ultimately falling to Orlando City two to one on Saturday. The result dropped them too late to, in the second half. Yeah, very late in the second half. Um, <laughs> Well, after the second half should have been over. But anyway, That's what I'm saying. Uh, the result dropped DC United down to fifth. Orlando jumped them into fourth place. Uh, they now lead United by two points with uh, six games to go in the season, in the regular season, of course. Um, not the result we wanted, but not catastrophic either by any means. Um, one thing that stood out about this game to me is that it was more of a tactical I hate this term, a chess match between Oscar Pereja and Hernan Losada, uh, then maybe we're used to seeing it's it, most teams have not been able to adequately respond to DC United. Um, we've seen it happen, of course. Uh, in Nashville, United just didn't have the horses to, to keep going and Nashville overran them. Bruce Arena had crazy subs to put on in, in New England when United went up there, but in this one, it really was about moving pieces around more than just substitutions or, or attacking talent. Um, Lusada opted to rest Kevin Paredes uh, for this one, started Andy Nahar out on the left and in that left wing back spot. It didn't work. And Tony Alfaro did not perform that well in the, the left center back role. So before halftime even came, Lusada pulled the trigger put in Joseph Mora on the left and shifted Andy Nahar to the right, pulling Alfaro out um, after he looked like getting a second yellow. It looked like he was kind of trying. He got an early yellow and almost got a second, and Losada had to had to make a change. Uh, and combined with a renewed press, that led to United's strongest, I think anyway, strongest segment of the game um, before some other changes forced them to, to kind of pull back. We'll talk about that a little later, but... Uh, what stood out to you guys about the kind of the tactical matchups in this one? I mean, I was almost hoping for more rotation to start with at the beginning of the game. I think like after this, this hellscape of, uh, of games that we've been going through, maybe give more of the kids like parade days needs a rest. That's fine. But maybe give Yao a start, maybe give, uh, 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 Moses Nyman a start and rest a couple more people. And then you can bring Paul Ariola in, in the 60th minute to run amok or uh, bring in other starters in the 60th minute to run amok. And after giving them uh, a little time to rest and, and to then they can prey upon uh tired Orlando, uh, a tired, a more tired Orlando back line. Uh, instead it, Hernan Losada stick stuck with most of his main starters. And I think for a lot of it, it was a little like they, they pulled back after the uh, Gressel goal. They weren't their normal flying around the pitch self because they were tired. It's been a ton of games. And even with a break, that doesn't mean they're, you can't magically like take energy you saved up next week and, and import it back into today's game. Uh, so yeah, we should figure that technology out, by the way, yeah. like energy mortgages. You can borrow that, energy think, from the future and repay it with interest. I think I think that's somehow going to create like the heat death of the universe. You know or what? It's like, going to happen whether we want it to or not. So or like some sort of like uh, this sounds like the beginning of a sci fi movie or just a solution to our arrow goes up problem. Right. I, I feel like it would exacerbate the arrow goes up problem. Well, that's what I mean. Is the arrow will go up even faster, and that's yeah. obviously the only solution to the problem. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, this uh, it's an interesting situation for DC because we're talking again about a road game where they tried the mid block, not from the start, 
but since they scored so early, uh, shifting into it, I think this was a very game state dependent um, tactical approach where United wanted to go chase the first goal, which is something I've advocated for going back before Losada came into the team. I think the way game states have set up and have started to sort of be borne out by various data points in the league, various data analytics studies, things like that. Uh, going hard for that first goal is a worthwhile risk. Um, DC got it, not how we expected. Um, it's always nice to see a goal like that, but it's not not the way we thought, but that's fine. Um, right. But the team has still shown to be, I, I feel like they're just a little more mistake prone when they switch to the mid block. Um, there's a little hesitancy, a little bit of um, uncertainty, and maybe it's because you spend so much pressing being a pressing team is not just a uh tactical thing or a physical thing it's it's an identity thing um which is why there are teams that when they have to go high press are not as good it's hard to switch the mindset to that um but it cuts both ways and if you're trying to switch out of that maybe it's like well this just doesn't feel like us um the extreme version of that is uh the chris armis red bulls um trying to not be a high pressing team in Atlanta and ending up getting uh, run out of the playoffs based on one bad half um, because their coach just misread his team. I don't think we're in that state by any, any means, but there is work to be done for DC to be able to adapt to when they are not the pressing team that they often are. Um, Losada said, you know, this being a road game, this being the third in eight days, there were reasons that they they knew they were going to have to spend some time not being a high press team in this game. They wanted to sort of dole those pressing minutes out. They wanted to be conservative with how mu- how much of them got used and how early, um, which is why we saw high pressing till they got the goal, and then coming out of halftime we saw more high pressing. And then, you know, after about fifteen to twenty minutes, they had to not do it anymore. Um, so there, there are reasons that DC went about the game this way, and I don't think there are bad reasons, but the team is a, still a little shaky when they have to play that way. There's still a certain amount of unease uh, in the group, and it leads to some of these mistakes. Mistakes like um, the, first, the, set, the first goal is a set piece where um, Bill Hamid makes the initial save. First of all, you shouldn't be giving up the shot. If you're defending the set piece well enough, Hamid doesn't have a save to make and it, and a difficult save. Um, it yep. wasn't an easy save that he was having to make. Uh, but even more important, Robin Jansen isn't getting a free run at the ball while Hamid is down. Um, if you're a little more locked in mentally, and maybe this has nothing to do with pressing and everything, but I think that we're now far enough in the season where I think that there is something happening when DC switches to the mid block that creeps into the mindset a little bit, not for everyone, but for enough players that this sort of goal gets given up. Um, you know, if Jansen can beat someone to the ball and and score that finish, then okay, fine. But he didn't have anyone to beat. He was just all alone. He's the only yeah. person going to the ball. Yeah, Andy um, Nahar, I think, was marking him and got caught ball watching a bit on that one. He also fell asleep on the the play that set up the corner. Andy Nahar, sure. he, he, I love the guy. He, he had a, a bad 60 seconds there. Uh, for United and it cost them yeah and and, you know to to talk about that since we mentioned it before as well the him at left wing back um uh, we've seen him play there earlier this year in a game where Paredes wasn't available and it actually went pretty well that was very early where we weren't sure what Nahar was going to do this year it was like okay he he's probably available for this game but we're still in the mindset of like anything we get out of Andy this year is is a bonus um this is long enough ago where it was still that kind of status. Um, but he did well in that game. Um, I, I want to say that was game three, game four, somewhere way back when. Um, the, in this game, he just, he seemed a little like positionally rusty. He seemed a little unsure as to where he was supposed to be in a given moment. Um, and, you know, it paid for it eventually. Um, once he shifted back, um, with the, the yellow card switch, which is another interesting thing. Cause I think, I think Orlando would have been attacking, attacking left center back, regardless of the lineup, um, regardless of whether Nahar had been in the back and it had been pines over there. Um, I think that they set themselves up to do that. They wanted 
to attack that space through a multitude of different ways with um, Huan coming forward with uh, Nani having the freedom to occasionally drift inside so that Pereira could then shift over um, Benji Michelle often pushing way wide to add that one more, like, do I have to flare out here or do I stay tucked in? Um, so they gave, they, they focused a lot on that area of the field intentionally. They made it difficult. Um, if Alfaro doesn't get that yellow card, I think they at least get to halftime without having to make that shift. But um, it was one where it felt like we were one foul away from a second yellow and Orlando was having the better of game, the game at that point. And it might seem on paper, you say, okay, it's only four minutes plus maybe one minute of stoppage time. What's the risk? And it's like, well, the risk could be the entire game is uh, undone if they get one more ball in that space. So yeah. um, it's a tough call though. There are a lot of coaches that would have said, let's roll the dice on it. And maybe you get away with it. Um, well, what's funny is immediately after the sub, Jordy Reyna comes up lame. Yes. And so United effectively played the last, I guess the last minute plus three or four minutes of stoppage in the first half, essentially down a man. Reyna came back on the field and hobbled about a bit, but he's, he wasn't contributing on and, either and side Lasada of the ball. Said, after the game, Losada said that it was an injury, um, which you could see. I mean, yeah. you could, you could see him getting treatment and like looking at his quad, he struck the ball oddly. He had a, um, he was trying to make a chip pass and it did not work. And his leg, did not respond well to maybe in the process of swinging his leg. That's when it went wrong. And that's why he probably struck the ball wrong. Yeah. Um, Which actually like undid a very promising attack, actually. Um, Yeah. That was one of DC's best moves forward in like half an hour. Um, And it comes undone and seemingly because of an injury rather than just a mistake. So bad, bad, you know, is unfortunate uh, for sure. Um, But yeah, you, you know, DC was not bad in this game. It feels bad because of the nature of the loss, um, especially the mistakes. I think they are a better team than Orlando, but now they've got two games against Orlando in which in different ways, Orlando did just enough to find a way to get the win. Um, Very differently in both cases. Uh, These are kind of far apart in terms of approach, but um, it is a nod to Oscar Pereja's ability as a tactician um, and some of the experience that they have uh, down in Orlando, as much as they haven't been playing well coming into this game, um, they're still a pretty good team. And I know Matt Doyle talked about how I, I think after the game, he said, like, I told you guys Orlando was going to be fine. Um, and it's not pretty soccer. I'll say that they are having to be very cagey about everything. But this was a game to to go back to how Adam started the segment. This is a game where instead of DC forcing a DC game on Orlando, Orlando forced a KG game onto DC for a majority of this game. And that is part of why they were able to hang on long enough that they could get that 97th minute game winner. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said (laughs) earlier, which was the, the identity issue, how United doesn't look like themselves when they're not in that high flying high press. And it's kind of the, the flip side to, some complaints that we heard about Losada early in the year when he was insisting on running this high press, even when the team wasn't fully locked in, they didn't fully understand it yet. They were bought in, they were willing to do it. They just didn't have it down pat the way they maybe do now. And that's why you do it in the early season is because right. it, it it is your identity and you have to go through those growing pains. And now United you know, they have this plan B in the mid block, but it's not, there's a reason it's not plan A, right? Like if the mid block were, were all that, it would be plan A, but. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And like, like was said, they don't, they, I'm sure they don't practice it as much as they do the, the, the high flying pressing. Uh, they probably Maximum practice overdrive. it like that's how some people say it. Um, <laughs> I've heard it, I've heard it both ways. Um but yeah, they probably only practice the the mid block like a quarter of the time, at, like of uh, the like practice time at most. Like it, they practice what they are good at and practice what they need to be good at, and you don't have time a lot of time for second and third and fourth options. And, and you know, to that, you know, Adam, as you said, like getting an identity early in the season and maybe taking some losses. Um, that San Jose game, for example, yeah. would have been a game like, let's switch to mid-block for a few minutes if you're thinking short-term. 
Um, but Losada came in with a very clear emphasis on long-term, building this team for a long period of time and getting his concepts settled in early was worth taking some losses, taking some bad moments. It had to happen that way. Um, at this point in the season, DC probably is, you know, shifting the balance of training time a little towards the mid block, uh, as opposed to in the past, because in the high press at home, especially they look comfortable. Uh, the, the stuff that they're looking for now is really refined and the players understand how it works and they're able to even not just understand the system, but like build upon the system with improvisations. Um, when DC looks really good, what you're seeing is them taking the system. It's like when you get your, you finish your studies and you get your degree and then you start creating new things on your own in your field. Um, they're at that stage in the high press. Whereas in the mid block, it feels like the team is still learning. They're still in college, um, so to speak. And, and maybe, you know, we don't, we don't have access to training between, you know, COVID and I'm not sure the team's feeling on having media back in. Cause it's, frankly, like infrastructure wise, easier for there not to be open trainings. Um, and I think this whole year, the leagues have not made the teams do it. So we don't get to see how much time gets dedicated to the mid block shape versus other things. So it's guesswork, but I would expect yeah. that this is a team, especially now this game against Orlando means that the odds of a home playoff game in the first round uh, are reduced. Uh, this would have been a big win for DC's yeah. hopes on that front. And now that has, it's not gone by any means, but it's taken a hit. There's no way around it. Um, so this might be a team that has to either find out how to go. You know, and we're talking a little further down the road here, but like they might have a road playoff game where it's like, okay, do we high press away from home and take the chance of uh, getting, you know, falling down to nothing because we over overstretched uh, in the first half hour and having no way back into the game. Or do we try the mid-block and hope that we're good enough at it this time with everything on the line to, to get through the game? Um, there's still time for DC to sharpen up in that, though. And that is, I think, maybe maybe the biggest key, I mean, without putting aside the obvious getting enough points to get in the playoffs, because it's not a given. Um, but assuming they pull that off, which I feel confident they will, um, being good enough in this mid-block is this is what these next few weeks are uh, kind of about. Um, if they can have this alternative in this in-game way to manage games where they're, you know, we see it at home. They can play the mid-block at home when they've got a lead to protect. They play confidently. Can they adapt that to road games where they don't have the backing of the fans and they have a less positive history? Because most of DC's points, like, what is it, 30 points out of 40 are home points. Um, this least, is a team. Yeah. Uh, this is a team that has piled up their points at home, and so there is a confidence thing here too that just changes when you go to Orlando. As much as we don't like their fan base, they're loud. They're engaged in the game. This is not a quieter MLS fan base. This is one of the even you know any under any team that's gone to Orlando under DC's history, they've all kind of agreed. Like, yeah, it's a, that's a legitimately tough place to play between the weather and their fans. Well, and. I do wonder, like, obviously every team has to deal with injuries, but I do wonder what would happen. I feel like Brendan Hines-Ike would be a good addition in the mid-block for this team, especially over Tony Alfaro. I feel like he has some of those, he has the the knowledge of the dark arts he, in a he's way. He's a very Taka-Kaffee kind of player in that yeah, way. Yeah, where he can, like, he can get away with, like, the right kind of foul that, like, isn't a yellow card, but could have been, and just like having having him here would would I think would help the mid block. Obviously, you play the play the hand you've been dealt for the season, and we don't have him. Uh, but maybe as as the season goes on, as we go into next year, that that improves even more. Like that that second that second uh, uh, formation improves even more as. Uh, we have more players who can flip back and forth between the two. Yeah, I actually think the mid block is more a response to human physiology than it is um, a, a fact of going on the road. It, these games have been insanely packed. 
and just you can't physically even with five subs you can't press all out every game the way Losada has said he wants to it's just not possible with the current schedule and we'll get to it in the second segment but the next five games are coming even faster and more furious than before and but the playoffs won't necessarily be that quick so I'm curious assuming Knockwood United gets in I'm really curious and excited to see what Losada decides to do because we might see even more pressing than we have over the recent weeks when every game has been part of a three and in seven or three and eight and these next five games are going to be five and 14 which is absurd it is it is criminal and it's definitely not going to get easier uh or and or more expanded when the league's cup takes up an entire month of the uh season i mean yeah it's true um it, it's harder to be a pressing team than it maybe was a few years ago now because of the way the schedule is drawn up. We'll get into that probably another day. Um, Losada did fall into this plan B, this this mid block, and even at moments it looked like a low block because Orlando was dominating so much of the ball late on in this one and pushing United deep into their own half. And United was holding out like Orlando didn't create much at all from open play both of their goals came from set pieces and we'll get into that but um i think because of the fact this was the third in seven days the fact that it was humid as anything in florida you could see the sweat the players were sweating was just not evaporating into the air it was sticking to them and dripping onto the field it was not doing its intended purpose of cooling the body and and providing that relief because of the weather down there um but they they held on and I, I completely understand the decision to to go with that because even with the break coming, you don't want your players to break any more than they already have. Yeah. Uh Losada has gotten some heat, most of it undeserved, I think, for for pushing the players physically. Um but that that's what the system demands. But he gave them a break in this one. They almost saw out the draw. Mm-hmm. Um but those two set piece goals, both of them off of corner kicks, does that have you guys worried at all going into this late part of the season in the playoffs where set pieces can literally decide your fate? Mm, I wouldn't say worried yet. Um, if we come out of this gap in the schedule and see another, not just, I mean, we, we shouldn't get caught up in outcomes. Um, but if this next game that for DC, if we see, the set piece defending looks shaky, whether or not a goal is scored, that would leave me worried. Um, yeah. well, I, you know, I'm, I'm at, we need to see three games in a row before it becomes a pattern. Um, in this case, I, I don't think DC's set piece defending was too bad overall in the game, except for the two goals, um, which is an interesting uh, situation because that is outcome based, but it's also the other ones didn't really look too bad. Um, it's just that, uh, you know, Losada paid some credit to Orlando for that last corner is very well delivered. Um, Daryl DK makes a hard run at the near post and and does a it, it's a well executed header. Um, so from an execution perspective, uh, you have to give some credit. They did do a good job on that. But is why is DC letting DK have a clear run at the near post? How are they not blocking him off? Um, because he's the obvious target. With that, you know, Orlando's center backs are not particularly great in the air. They're fine. Um, but DK is obviously an elite player in the air. Um, and it's not so much about marking. Um, we got a question for the podcast account talking about um, uh, marking assignments and things like that. And what I would say is, one, it's not really an assignment situation at that stage in the game when players get subbed in and out. Things things get hectic. Um it becomes very difficult to convey the information. And so a lot of it is players figuring it out on the field on their own. Um, But in that play, you do end up with, it ends up being Knauss and DK trying to do battle. And that's not the plan. Um, Knauss is very good in the air for someone his size, but DK is not someone that is that size. He is a physically (laughs) larger human being. Um, There's just nothing you can do about that. Um, and it shouldn't be a situation where it's just Canals having to go that one alone. If you can get a second, sm- even a smaller player, if you can get a second body on him there, 
DK is probably not winning that header cleanly and therefore isn't able to execute the difficult glancing header to the back post goal. And that's the difference between a win and a draw or a draw and a loss. Um, so there's a little bit of just, can you, can everybody in the group take care of their business and not lose their battles or lose, you know, can they make sure if, if they're on a zonal assignment, because DC is generally in a mixed setup where there's a little zonal and a little man marking. Um, can you make sure that your zone is taken care of and you're not losing it? This is something I've talked about a lot where on set pieces, you don't necessarily have to win your battle every single time, but you can't lose. Um, so if you can, you know, if you're a little, your ear stuck, maybe DC's playing against a team with larger players physically. Um, and maybe you're, uh, you know, if you're Andy Nahar, for example, in that situation, can you help make sure that maybe it's you and Canals trying as hard as you can? And there's a little bit of like, uh, a, you know, small people trying to tackle a larger man uh, situation, a little bit of a silly image. But um, can the two of you manage to not let DK get that clean run? Because then maybe he's not even getting the header or maybe it's hitting the top of his head and just sort of ballooning up. That's fighting that one to a draw. Um, and if you have enough draws on, on a set piece, you're not going to give up a goal. It might not be pretty. Um, you might not clear it and and clear it with confidence, but you're not giving up the goal. And in that moment, especially given the state of the game being well past the given stoppage time, that's if you fight that one to a draw, you're walking out with a draw on, in the big picture. So um, there's just a little bit of that with DC. It's not you don't look at the set piece defending and be like, wow, what a mess. Uh, in these last two games, it's just like, you know, there are little moments where it hasn't been quite good enough. Um, in fact, of of the three set piece goals that we're talking about, because we're going back to the Minnesota game, the Debassi one is actually the one I think they did the worst job on. Um, in that Debassi is not a particularly strong player in the air, and he gets a free leap at the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it was kind of Minnesota didn't even commit that many numbers for it on that one. Like they that was kind of a gimme that DC let them have. Whereas Orlando at least was providing a challenge uh, on theirs. They were, they were a more difficult team to deal with in those circumstances. So yeah, if we come out of the break and we're seeing situations like that Minnesota goal, especially that's maybe a more alarming thing. That's becomes a, like, this is what could end the season for us. Um, but I don't think they will. I think they'll use the break. It looked like Losado was out like a, uh, doing some sort of like river canoeing and having a grand old time uh, on a little vacation for himself. So he's big on, this is another thing with Lozada that's kind of a misperception is that he's very big on like, I'm going to go home and get like a, an appropriate amount of sleep and deal with this game tomorrow. Like I'm not rewatching right, yeah. it. I'm not going to be here at 5 a.m. rewatching the game still. Um, and I'm not going to spend my entire break uh, just draining my entire soul uh, watching game tape so that when the players come back, I'm like, Everybody, here are the nine hundred things like a the Charlie the Charlie Kelly Pepe Sylvia <laughs> thing. You walk in because that's not people don't take information well that way. Um, so I'm sure that it's probably you know the wheels are spinning and now assuming his his vacation is back. He he posted something on Instagram today with him and the coaches driving in D.C. So I think they're all back. Um, they'll get to work um, with the players that are still in town, and then later when the international break ends, when everyone's back. Um, and I'm, he mentioned specifically that they're going to work on this. So they we, will be addressed. It's just a matter of how well and how quickly can the players take that on? Because I think they're perfectly capable. We had a long stretch where they weren't giving up set piece goals. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's alarm bells yet. But when we come out of the break, we do need to see it improve. And if we don't, then you, you probably should start to worry about it a little bit. Before we end this first segment, I just want to... Uh... Shout out Julian Gressel and that thunder bastard. Um, it, it was a great goal. He talked about it on his podcast, the soccer podcast that he has with Fabian Herbers. Um, and he's, you know, it is a second goal in as many games. Um, and he and Fabian have now set up a, a charity fund where every time they accomplish something on the field, whether it's a goal and assist or uh, accolades from the league, uh, they will donate money into a fund that they're going to give to, I think, children's cancer research at the end of the season. So that was that was Gressel doing something for the team and for, you know, the community at large, too. Mm. And it was a beauty. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he absolutely crushed that ball. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there were some people on Twitter and I, I don't I don't 
know this or not, but like there were some people who were saying that they thought Dave Johnson wasn't sure the ball was in um, because of how quickly that ball first went across the screen. And then it actually bounces backwards. And it's like, did that hit behind the goal or was it um, because, you know, which not side of the net is that on? Yeah. And, and, and did it's it hard, burn a hole in the net. It's hard to blame the announcers when they aren't allowed to travel. They aren't sent uh, to cover a game in person. It's hard to blame them when they're like, well, let me, let me, and Dave's since such a pro, he does a call that it's like, well, let me be non-committal while still reacting to the power of the shot. Uh, and then we'll see, I'll have that extra split second to know for sure whether it went in or not. Um, yeah. Uh, I feel like the hardest shot anyone for DC has struck this year. I think that's a, an easy one. Um, yeah, Julian Gressel all of a sudden following up his three assist game with two two goal or goals in what two straight. Um yep. Yep. yeah, so uh I think I want to shout out our friend uh Sam Jones for saying that Gressel is the easiest best 11 pick and he's right. Um as much as it might seem like uh Ola Kamara is DC's best uh best 11 candidate because he's the golden boot leader still. Um I get the sense that a lot of people are probably going to go against him because they don't want to, it's that weird thing where people are, they don't want to be seen as rewarding someone who scored goals, but they also will often reward just someone who scored some goals. Um, And I think he's going to get badly treated there. Whereas with Gressel, I don't think they're like, if you, if you want to lump, especially if you're saying wingbacks and fullbacks are the same rather than wingbacks and wingers. um, If you want to lump wingbacks and fullbacks together, I think it's Gressel and the rest of the league. Like Gressel's yeah. oh, one yeah. tier and then everyone else is a step, a step or more behind. Um, I think if he doesn't make the best 11 based on this season, I mean, granted, maybe in the next five games, he invents new ways to, to just not play, play soccer so badly that he loses his edge here. <laughs> but it would take a lot. It would take something yeah. that we've never conceived of. Um, like Julian Gressel figures out how to destroy the soccer ball physically uh, at the start of every game and just like completely ruins the playing soccer of every single game. And, yeah, uh, but I don't think he just wants to take the ball and hitting curlers to the far post on Bill Hamid. That would he goes to no, he goes to the Adidas headquarters and destroys every soccer ball. Right, right, but but he and reveals his plan within games, um, so that everyone knows it was him. It would take that level of like bizarre uh, and dastardly behavior for him to lose <laughs> uh, a best eleven vote. I feel like, but. I don't think that's Julian Gressel's preference. I think he wants to continue playing soccer in a normal <laughs> manner. Um, yes. I'll let him, he can address that uh, on his own. Uh, but it's my read of him is that he would like to continue doing this kind of thing. And um, it's been, it's been pretty special. This is the player that DC gave up uh, all, all the gam and Tam and, and whatnot. I can't even remember the details of that trade at this point. Um, they did that because they anticipated this level of play from him. Um, and it's great to see him in a system that allows him to be this level of player. And, and if anything, it feels almost like, like he's on, I think two goals and 13 assists. And it feels like that's not what it should, it should be higher. Not because, not because of him. It's not that he's left something on the table. It's that we spent a chunk of the season where DC was leaving it on the table when he did everything. Um, like if he were on like five goals and 20 assists, it would be like, that sounds more reasonable. Um, that'd be an MVP that's candidate. How, that's how good he's been though. Yeah, uh, he really has is, been right. yeah. a, a top 10 player in MLS this season. I, I don't mean like best 11. Yes. Because of his position, but I mean like best 11 players in the league of any position. He's also been there. He's been that. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I agree. And he's been good on the defensive side too. It seems like at least mm-hmm. once a game, he makes a read that like he, where he jumps a pass that was ma- just slightly imperfectly hit. And he just, it leads to a break for DC United. He, his anticipation and his defensive ability, I think is really underrated um, because it's, it's good. It's not that it's not bad. It's good actually. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's been doing it on both sides of the ball. Um, Since we're talking about best 11, I I also want to shout out, obviously Ola Kamara leading the golden boot, but also Andy Nahar. He plays a unique role, but he's been damn good in that center back spot. Uh, United have three legit best 11 candidates this year, I think. Um, And we'll end on that note. We'll be right back, though, to talk about the run in for DC United over these last, I guess, three weeks of the season after the of the regular season after the break. So uh, stick around. It's filibuster. 
right? Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster six games remaining in dc united's 2021 regular season campaign the black and red currently sit in fifth place in mls's eastern conference two points behind orlando and philadelphia who are in the final two positions to host a game in the first round of the playoffs uh that said united are also only one point ahead of atlanta united who sit in the first spot below the line and outside of the playoffs. So uh, it's, it's tight in, in, in these streets. Um, I I figured we could look at the current standings, look at DC United's schedule and uh, call it a night. How's that sound for you guys? Let's do it. All right. So new England currently uh, on 65 points, but the good news is hear me out guys. They've played one more game than everyone else. Uh, second place, Nashville, 18 points back. So that one game is is really major. Um, yeah, yeah, on 47 I think, I think they can get them. <laughs> They're in with a shout. Um, Philly in third on 42. Orlando tied with them on points behind on a tiebreaker. Uh, DC United on 40, tied with NYC and Montreal. That's five through seven. Atlanta in eighth and 39. I'm not going to talk about the the Red Bulls or the Cruise points. I don't think they have a chance. I think this is the universe of potential playoff teams. And so that's where I'm, where I'm limiting it. Um, you, you, you don't think the Yopstomless FC Cincinnati can climb out of the, out of the buck, out of the basement? They, they've no, they've fallen into the basement since Stom left. He had them in outside of the wooden spoon. They, they lost to TFC uh, in spectacularly TFC. silly fashion. Um, yeah, they did not get the the fire the coach bump that you might have yeah. expected. Um, it, even a dead cat bounce, they didn't get. They just they just <laughs> fell on the concrete and stuck there. Uh, I don't think they're getting out. I think they are going to set an MLS record with their third straight wooden spoon. Womp, womp. Truly, truly special. Uh, <laughs> it is as an achievement. <laughs> that is. Uh, kind of, I mean, think of think of MLS history. There are some clubs that have been just like bad for like a full decade of just like Toronto FC in their early years didn't even get the wooden spoon three years in a row. Chivas, Chivas USA, Chivas, like yeah, the Colorado Rapids, and from like 1996 to like 2009, uh, they made one MLS Cup, but they also spent a lot of time where like literally no one was paying attention to them or trying to help them in any way, and they still managed to never. Finished uh, last Jason, two times in a row. Jason, Jason, excuse me. The 2010 MLS Cup was not played. <laughs> it didn't happen. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't have words I mean, even to describe like, FC Cincinnati. Even DC, yeah. even DC United never like of the 2010s never put like. No, it was always bounce back the next year. Yeah, yeah right, it was always coaster. Coaster. They yeah, they would yeah. have a terrible year get the game set on easy mode, and then take advantage of that. Cincinnati is not able to take advantage. I don't know if you guys saw when they... So they hired Chris Albright, who has been the technical director in Philadelphia. They hired him as their new GM. And the owner 
had this ridiculous quote. The owner of FC Cincinnati had this ridiculous quote about how he has pushed the team up Mount Olympus and some people fell behind and he's not going to slow down so that they can also make the summit. It's like, you are on track to win your third straight wooden spoon. You're in Hades, my guy. (laughs) You are not climbing any mountains. Anyway. DC United are on the precipice of of making the playoffs and potentially hosting a playoff game. Like I said, they're two points out of the home playoff game spots. Uh, they can conceivably finish as high as second. I think third or fourth is is the more attainable goal here. Um, but they do have a difficult start to this run in. These first five games of the six are all played in the next or in a two week span from October 16th to the end of October. Like in this span, United, this two weeks, United has more games than I did, I think, in the month of July. (laughs) Uh, It's it's absurd. Thankfully, four of the five are at home. So that helps not having to travel. And their one travel is up to the Bronx. So. Or, or New Jersey. I'm actually not sure where that in, NYCFC game is because they've been bouncing back and forth between mm. Red Bull Arena and Yankee Stadium. Anyway, they open on, on the 16th against New England and then follow that up on Wednesday the 20th against... Or sorry, they open Nashville. on the 16th against Nashville, follow that up on the 20th against New England. Currently, the top two teams in the East. So yeah, these was, first was, two games are going to be tough. I mean, all like it's a it's a rough run in for DC United. Like, it, it is good that they have the home games, but I mean, it's like most of the games that they are playing are against like playoff or or teams that still think they have a chance at the playoffs caliber team until you get to the last game of the season. Yep. Uh, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be like DC United is gonna have to play really the really uh, uh, ex- execution version of uh, Losada ball and not the mid block version. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely a scenario where no one's going to hand them a playoff spot uh, to go through the rest of the schedule. Um, like I said, Nashville on Saturday, the 16th, new England on Wednesday, the 20th, Saturday, the 23rd, they are at NYCFC back home on Wednesday, the 27th against the metros uh, Saturday, the 30th against the crew. And then, they have a full eight days off uh, before decision day, Sunday afternoon, November 7th at Toronto FC. Like DC United could conceivably run the table. They could win all of these games. I don't know that that's likely, but they've been very good at home. NYCFC are in a rough spot. Toronto are bad. They're like winning out, getting 18 points from these games is not outside the realm of possibility. I don't think that's a reasonable expectation, but it's an aspiration. With, with the fact that we're talking about the, the four home games is first of all, not only is that good for DC, but um, I went through and I was just, I first, I thought I could maybe figure out a, how many points does DC need to mathematically qualify? Um, Maybe it's lower than 58, which would be what they get if they were on the table. Um, (laughs) But there are too many there are too many matchups among the playoff teams that make it too many variables right. and i just didn't have time to too much uh, math. map out the matrices that would be required to to uh line that all up but i do i did retain the notes that i started to before i was like this is too many games i need to give up <laughs> um and one thing that i noticed in this is that dc has is the only team in the East that has that schedule with the heavy padding of home games. Uh, everyone else is either evenly balanced or even has one more away game uh, and one less home game, um, or t- I should say two less. So it's either three and three or two and four, but no one has the four home two away split that DC does. And we talked about this in the first segment, DC at home, 30 points from 13 games, uh, one of the best points per game hauls in the entire league. So the fact that they've got four home games sets them up extraordinarily well if they can just make, they don't have to get better. They just have to maintain what they've been doing. Um, The other aspect of this is that those last three games are a pretty inviting run in the Red Bulls, uh, Columbus, both at Audi field, and then a visit to TFC who at that point in the season will 
most likely not even be having the win to avoid the wooden spoon. They'll just be sort of like down there, very bad, uh, but like no stakes bad. Just like our season is done. It was a disaster. Let's let's get on to our vacations. We're all tired of seeing each other kind of a vibe, um, which makes it a very winnable game. But like the Red Bulls, um, the Red Bulls away record is fine. Four wins out of, uh, what is this? Four wins out of 14 is not a bad haul. Columbus, on the other hand, only has the two wins away from home out of uh, 15. So they have not been very good away from home at all. Um, so if you look at those three games and you look at what point totals it's going to take to get in, I think 49 is where the lot, like if you're above, if you have 49 and up, you're going to get in. And if you don't get to 49, um, you're probably not going to get in. Um, DC could get their nine points that they need to get over that admittedly just me creating a line based on a very you know 20 minutes of doodling on a piece of paper but i think it's not unreasonable ballpark uh estimate here dc could get their nine points from those three games at the end which means if they can even go to nycfc and get a draw um i i that game being at yankee stadium if that's what it is which is complicated by baseball's playoffs if i'm not mistaken now because the yankees qualified for that um but yeah, if that game's at Yankee Stadium, it's a much more difficult game, as we know from the history of DC's trips to the Bronx. I will say, though, DC is a high-pressing team. Maybe the fact that that field On is that just entirely too small. Stamp. Yeah, yeah, they'd say, great, uh, easier for us to high-press you, so that's what we're going to do. Um, that's a variable for sure. Um, the New England and Nashville games are... They're a concern because of the momentum, right? DC right now has been so good at home that they have nothing but positive feelings basically uh, at home. And you don't want to have a dent in that right now. On the other side, though, if you beat Nashville and the Revs at home, you start to think, listen, if we can get these guys in our building, we can beat anyone in the league. Now, they're probably not going to get above New New England and Nashville, uh, certainly not going to get above New England in the playoff chase so they won't get a home playoff game but if you can say to yourself that anyone in our stadium can come or anyone in the league can come to our place and they should expect to lose then you know you're kind of the sky's the limit at that point in terms of confidence which is where you want to be so i I think it's an okay schedule as much as the front end of it is more the more daunting by far um it is definitely reasonable to think of dc getting 12 out of 18 um, I don't think that's a big ask. I think that's a reasonable thing to, to ask, though. I, I, I think there's almost a part of Losada that might not want any home draws this year. Um, he's gotten <laughs> this far without them, and I think he would like to continue being able to, one way or another, get a definitive result out of every home game. Um, he said early in the year he doesn't like draws, and I think that's actually true. Um, but yeah, if if it comes down to it and the Revs happen to get out of Audi Field with a draw, I don't think that feels too bad. I will say because DC has been so close to beating them twice now, it would be awfully nice to be able to actually finish the job. Uh, and not it's have also this- a hell of a team to hang your hat against, right? Yes. Like, this year of all years. So, Jason, the Yankees lost in the wild card round. So we, okay. it seems like DC United will be playing on that postage stamp of a terrible field. Which will be interesting uh, to say the least. We haven't seen them have to press uh, or have the option to press anyone on a field that size. Um, granted, it's because there is no other field yes. that size in the league, but uh, right. we don't really know how that looks. Uh, it might be wild. That game might be because New York City is also willing to uh, press their opponent as well. So that game might be kind of a crazy one. Our preview for that game will be going back and re-airing our um, live watch of the, the Baltimore Warthogs indoor soccer game. Washington Warthogs. Washington it's a, Warthogs. It's that a very here. important alliterative. And, yes. Uh, yes. Baltimore, Baltimore Blast. Blast. Washington, Washington Warthogs. Right. Yes. <laughs> my my apologies. I just that that whole <laughs> thing was so coked out that I my memory <laughs> yeah. didn't work. All of our indoor soccer focused listeners uh, have to accept <laughs> that apology before we can continue. It's true. Um, so we do know that Losada shrunk the field at Audi Field by. I think three yards on each end. So we know he likes smaller surfaces. He, at least to an extent. So I, that could be really interesting. One thing to, to look out for uh, Philly does have a game in hand on everyone. They're currently in third place on 42 
points and they have an extra game and they seem to be rounding into form um, in a way that they, they weren't when DC United beat them three to one at Audi field. But another thing to, to keep an eye on DC United might not have to worry about goal differential that much unless they start tying games at a rate we have yet to see at all this year, because the first tiebreaker is actually wins mm-hmm. in major league soccer, because we're weird. Get used to it. <laughs> It's a weird league. They have weird rules sometimes. One of them is that the first tiebreaker is number of wins because there were too many ties a few years ago and they said, no, we're not having that anymore. Uh, We're going to give you an extra incentive to win the game. Specifically Chicago finishing like multiple (laughs) seasons with 17 ties out of 34 games. Um, Because it did happen multiple. It was like two times in three years. Chicago got 17 ties. Um, I don't think that MLS actually, when they changed that rule, I don't think it actually changed in the, the way teams approach games, but um, it is an important one to remember that people always want to go to goal difference because your experiences say to go to goal difference. But uh, in MLS, DC, the fact that DC always searches for a win or a loss um, means that fortunately they have 12 wins, which is one of the highest totals in the league and is also why they're in fifth and not in seventh. Yeah, so it's, in the in the East, they're only behind New England in number of wins. Right. And so that means that if United, again, unless they start drawing games um, and other teams win and yet somehow they end up tied again, uh, United has that first tiebreaker on anyone they're going to be tied with. Uh, so so that's a good thing for for United. Mm-hmm. And it means it, it certainly helps the the push for a playoff spot and potentially a, a home game. Uh, we talked about it a little bit in the last segment, the the maximum overdrive press versus the mid block. I think we're likely to see more mid block, especially as this five game stretch or six. Yeah. The, the five game stretch before decision day, the deeper we get into it, I think the less pressing we will see uh, at least over long stretches. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if Losada goes all out against Nashville and New England and maybe even rotates against NYCFC um, just to you know put down the marker against the top teams in, in the conference and get that confidence boost for when you play them in the playoffs, potentially. Again, knock wood. I don't know what he's going to do. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll be fun to see. Um, but I think that there's a definite chance that we see that mid block come out quite a bit more just because of the physiological limitations of right. homo sapiens. Uh, and this is, we get into that. Um, the difference between when you have your three games in a week set up, which is DC starts us with three games in a week. Um, and the difference is that that second game where you go Saturday to Wednesday, you get that one extra day of rest. Um and that's two home games in there, whereas that NYCFC game is travel on top of it being one less day of rest. Um, so, Adam, I think you're right to suspect that rotation might be coming in that game. I would almost bank on it um, because ultimately I think Losada knows how important it is for this team mentally to continue to be good at home. Um, and maybe they keep something in the tank so that maybe they have like a regular starter that doesn't need rotating um, in that NYCFC game. Uh, but we'll see, because this is also unfortunately being influenced by the uh, the continuing presence of too many international games. Yeah. So that yeah. first game against Nashville, mm-hmm. DC might be facing it without so many important starters, right? We saw this out coming out of the last international break where, you know, Paul Ariola won't have too far to travel, but, Edison Flores and Junior Moreno coming from Latin America. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, both of them, it wasn't a direct trip back uh, to the U.S. It involved a layover. Um, And then the games are, because the international breaks are now slightly larger uh, to accommodate one more game, which is, again, just preposterous that they're even thinking of doing that, uh, much less actually doing it twice in a row. but that means that that first game against Nashville, you might see a rotated lineup out of necessity. Um, And maybe that means playing a strong, the strongest team against the revs and then playing a close to strongest team against NYCFC. But, you know, 
I expect that game to be rotation anyway, because of course it's three or four days later that they're playing at home again. And then three days after that, they're playing again. Um, Definitely going to see rotation. Um, It's, it's a must. It's not an option. Um, It's kind of like, where will it be? And I think the NYCFC game does look, even with the, the international absentees probably getting that first game off or, if not off, then certainly not playing from the start. Um, even with that factoring in, that middle game out of five, you almost have to pull back a little bit. And NYCFC is in the same boat. Um, I think their schedule looks exactly the same yeah. because MLS's whole schedule looks like that for most of the rest of the season. So, you know, it might be a weird one. It might be like an open cup kind of vibe, that that third game out of this set of five. Yeah, I I hate this. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy and exciting and, and all that. And I hate it because it's like, we're not going to see full strength against Nashville. There's going to be at least two other games where we're forced to rotate just because of fatigue. And it's, it sucks. Like the season is going to be decided in these two weeks. Do you think that FIFA and the schedule makers in uh, MLS think we can already mortgage like have energy mortgages and uh, uh, transfer energy back and forth. I I think they just don't care about players particularly. I think right. we've seen across soccer, men's and women's, oh, especially recently, that executives tend not to care about the players very much. They don't either don't think about them or or think of ways to exploit them more than anything else. And before I end up in an even darker spot. Um, United has a chance to really make a mark this season and these next two weeks and these five games are going to be a big part of that whether they they make the playoffs or host a playoff game or anything else it's going to go a long way to deciding how we feel about the 2021 season so uh, stay tuned everyone that does it for this week on filibuster thank you all for listening find us at black and red united Dot com. If you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Follow us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at black and red U for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We, uh, we do read everything uh, that is not spam, and we get a fair amount of spam there. It's kind of unfortunate. You get a lot of spam, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if don't you're a spam spammer, us. Stop emailing us. Yeah. Uh, everyone else, if you have questions, concerns disagreements advertising inquiries all of those we will gladly accept and engage with uh, if you're an advertiser for spammers i guess email us no <laughs> that's that, that gets into a gray area uh, <laughs> i don't i don't know that i like that. i'd like to see the email in which they explain their plot is is the thing i'm interested it's more of a, an interest than a thing we'll do to our our fans and listeners but rather what does an email of like, no, we're a spamming company. That's just uh, for Jason's like own edification. Advertise for us. You should DM. Yeah, just DM. Jason DC soccer for that one. Uh, yes, exactly. I've, I've cursed myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, download, subscribe, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. I'm told ratings and reviews are very helpful in uh, allowing new listeners to find us on podcast platforms uh you can go the direct route too we like that a lot just tell a friend about the show when you're talking about soccer with them mention this podcast and we will be eternally grateful to you um for jason and ben i'm adam we'll talk to you again real soon say goodbye jason the other flavor of the sparkling cold brew coffee is cucumber lime ginger uh and at some point i may be subjected to that in the future That sounds better if you just leave out the coffee. Yeah, without coffee, that actually sounds pretty good.